Hello, and welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. This podcast helps to inform and empower you about your rights within the workplace. We cover topics and examples of various matters in employment law, including sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, racial discrimination, how the courts define a hostile work environment, whistleblowing, and everything in between. Workplace Justice is brought to you by the New York City employment and civil rights law firm, Nassar Law Group. Here are your hosts, Mahir Nassar, Casey Wolnowski, and Jeffrey Rosenberg. Thank you for listening to the Workplace Justice Podcast. Today's guest is a survivor of workplace sexual harassment. She went public with her story via Huffington Post in November of 2020, fueling significant media coverage. She's an award-winning global chief marketing officer and the author of Harass Hole, a cautionary tale of my time at America's favorite charity, which was released in March of 2022. Thank you, Lisa Bowen, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Excited to have a conversation with you. Yeah. So Lisa, tell us a little bit about your book. I mean, I had a chance to read it and it's quite an experience that you went through within your workplace and what you were going through. To ask you the question in terms of why you wrote the book at this stage, I'd love the listeners to know a little bit about why you did it. Why did you write this book? Thanks. A really good question. Most people, when they're in the middle of a uh, legal situation with a former employer, don't release a book at that point in time. For me, after the media broke on my story, I had a number of women and a few men, but primarily women, reach out to me and basically say, oh my gosh, speaking out was so brave. Like I've had that happen, but I didn't have the guts to speak up. I would never have the guts to do what you did. And as I started having conversations with people, one of the things that I realized is that people don't speak up because they're afraid or they don't know how, they don't know what the process is. And the funny thing is, is that I never set out to write a book. I had a publisher call me. They had seen a lot of media coverage. They approached me and I agreed to have a conversation with them. And during that conversation, they said, you know, we think you should write a book on this. Mm -hmm. And I literally kind of laughed at them. And he said, you know, thank you so much for reaching out and asking me to do that. I'm like, but I'm not interested in writing a book. Mm -hmm. And they said, why not? And I said, three reasons. Number one, I don't know that I want to walk back through this emotionally. You know, it is, it is an emotional thing and it's, it's, it's an issue. So I didn't know that I wanted to do that. The second thing was I said, talk to me about a book. Like, what's the word count on a book? How many pages are we talking right. about? They said, oh, just 50,000 words, like 200 pages. And I laughed and I said, that's an awful lot of content. I'm not quite sure I could write that kind of content. And the third thing that I had asked them is I said, you know, who's going to read this book? Mm-hmm. I said, I am not a celebrity. I didn't suffer at the hands of Harvey Weinstein. I'm not Gretchen Carlson. Like, who's going to read a book from somebody that they've never heard of? And they said, that's exactly why we think you should write it, is that this happens to millions of women like you every day, and nobody comes forward, nobody speaks up. And so I thanked them for their interest, sent them on their way. That was literally in mid-May, I think, of 2021. In early June of 2021, give or take a year ago, I woke up one morning and thought, you know, maybe I should actually 
start to document my experience in narrative form. Mm. Maybe that might be helpful because everything I had was notes, documentation, and very formal. And I sat down that morning and I started writing. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that day, I had a 5,000 word draft. By Thursday of that week, I had written 15,000 words. Wow. And I called the publisher back and I said, I I've written something. I still don't think it's a book, but I'd love to send it over and have you take a look at it. And just tell me, like, could this possibly turn into something if I wanted to do that? And they came back and they said, yes, absolutely. Please keep going. So in July, I met with them and officially decided to do the book and finished it in September. And then we didn't start editing. I had a little bit of second thoughts on it. We didn't start editing until December. Went on hold for some legal reasons. We tried to navigate a settlement with my former employer at the beginning of the year. And then when that didn't come to fruition, released the book in March. So very long answer to your question. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting story as to how it all played out. So you never actually thought you were going to write a book, but your experiences ultimately led to it. And at this point, I mean, with people that are going through this and certainly what you went through, can you tell us a little bit of why it's so hard to speak up against sexual harassment? Yeah, it is hard. You know, it's it's scary. You don't know what's going to happen. Three quarters of the people that report sexual harassment also face retaliation, right? And so in order to report it, you have to speak up about it. And so the prospect of facing that retaliation, including potentially losing your job, is scary to people. And not everybody has the capacity to do that. If you are a single parent, if you're a minimum wage worker, the threat of losing your job for something like that is it's scary. In my case, it was more about I was raised with a very strong sense of right and wrong. And I think, you know, even though we didn't use these words when I was growing up, I think that, you know, I was kind of primed to be a little bit of a social justice warrior. And so when this happened to me, it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. I didn't speak up about it at work. When it happened to me, I spoke up when it happened to two other women on my team who were younger women of color that had faced this behavior from my household as well. And so I initially spoke up on their behalf before having to go back to HR and saying, you know why? Like I've been putting up with this for 15 months as well. Did I ever imagine that I would be retaliated against? And did I think I would lose my job for doing this? Not in a million years. Um, I trusted the system. I trusted the fact that we had all of this policy and procedure, things that basically said that if you even suspected harassment, you were obligated to report it and failure to do so in your part could result in your termination, right? So I did what I thought was the right thing. I, I followed the policy that we had, but I paid the ultimate price for it. Yeah. And I mean, and what you said in terms of the fear factor of retaliation and, you know, how hard it is to speak up, even beyond the retaliation component, the idea that, you know, you may end up facing the repercussions of speaking up and how the system, in essence, kind of silences you or caters to your silence. Were there other aspects or thoughts that you had about, you know, or at least what you think women have in terms of speaking up that might be a part of that fear? that might be limiting them and speaking up about it? 
Yeah, I think there's I think there's two things. Thing one is I think there's that fear of will anybody believe me? Mm. Because that seems to be a big thing. Right. Right. And so the one thing I would say is when somebody raises this, you should believe them. Right. There's always three sides to every story, sure. right? The he said, the she said, and the truth that lies in the middle. So you need to believe both parties, but also examine the facts. But I think it's fear of being believed, number one. And number two, I think the other thing is, is that as women, we often kind of doubt if what we think happened mm -hmm. really just happened. And we tend to make excuses for it. Maybe he was just being friendly. Maybe he was trying to help. Maybe he didn't mean to touch me. That was just an accident. And so I think that we have self-doubt occasionally. But the one thing I would say is that trust your gut. If it feels icky, if it doesn't feel right, it's usually not right. Absolutely. I think that's that's huge. Both great points. Trust your gut. So important. I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, whether it's any form of discrimination or harassment, the one thing that I consistently see is that people gaslight themselves. They question their own experience. They doubt whether or not it actually even happened. And I don't know, I mean, to some extent, sometimes I feel like the systems that we all go through, our educational systems, they somewhat make us question everything in a certain way. Perhaps it's the mm -hmm. patriarchy, perhaps it's the the systems that are at play that kind of minimize us from raising our voice and in some sense, seeing the truth of what we're actually feeling. So I think that those are great, great points. Do you feel in terms of your own experience, that when you spoke up that, and I know that you, you spoke up a number of times, but I guess when you first thought about the idea of speaking up about it, did you feel like, did you feel as if the, the people that you were speaking to were keen on helping you? Is that the kind of experience that you felt? When I first spoke up about it at work mm -hmm. and, and raised visibility of it, Absolutely not. I felt like I was being gaslighted from minute one. Mm. And when I first raised the issue, it was raised through our HR function. And a few weeks after that, in a conversation with my former boss, the CEO, I, it, my harasser's name came up in conversation in business context. And I asked the CEO, are you aware of the fact that I've had to go to HR about this individual twice in the last few weeks? And his response to me was, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. And, you know, you just need to learn to get along with him. And I kind of looked at him. I said, this is not about not getting along. This is about inappropriate behavior in the workplace and something that if it's not addressed, presents a liability for us. So from minute one, I, I think it was sort of that systemic patriarchy mm -hmm. gaslighting. Yeah. that said, no, you know what? This is just you having a personality conflict. Right. No, it's not a personality conflict with somebody when every conversation you have with them in the workplace is about your physical appearance, not your work product, not the value that you bring to the organization, nothing work-related at right. all. So, yeah, I, I do feel that there was a lot of gaslighting going on. To the extent that you can, can you give us a little bit of of what happened within the workplace with you, like what, what you experienced? Sure. You know, with my harassal, from minute one, and minute one was the day I was asked to interview him as a prospective candidate for a job, he demonstrated behavior that I really think is inappropriate in the workplace. Mm -hmm. The first meeting with him, I stepped out of my office, greeted him in the hallway, 
And he stepped directly into my personal space, looked down at me. And when I say look down, let me give a little bit of a qualifier. On a really good day, if I'm standing up tall, I'm five feet. I usually wear heels in a professional setting, so we'll call me 5'4". He's a big guy. 6'2", physically big, stepped right into my personal space, looked down at me, and made a comment about the fact that I was intimidating. This is a candidate who was there for a job. We proceeded to go into my office. I kind of laughed it off. I was really uncomfortable. Laughed it off, made a crack about how intimidating could I possibly be. I'm five feet tall. He said, come on into my office. Let's get to know each other a little bit. And during the course of having that conversation, as I probed a little bit on how he managed conflict navigation, conflict resolution, he made a comment about getting behind a closed door and tangling it out and that it might be fun. Mm. And that's inappropriate behavior, right? And so from that very first minute, his actions, his words were crossing a threshold of what I feel is reasonable behavior in the workplace. As I reported that to the CEO, uh, I shared with the CEO that I thought the candidate was technically capable and competent to do the job, but that he had had some unusual behaviors. And when I mentioned the fact that he told me I was intimidating. The CEO's response was, well, you are. So this all happened at the initial interview where you started to notice some kind of awkward behavior. And then he kind of, did he say to you that you, that he was intimidated by you? He told me I was intimidating. And what did you feel like that meant? I mean, like a ton of a odd statement to make on the first meeting, right? Yeah. I think if you could have seen the thought bubble over my head, it would have been populated with a whole bunch of big question marks like, you don't even know me. What do you mean I'm intimidating? Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, if you're intimidated by me, is that your issue or is that my issue? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know him. I'd never met him before. Right. So whether he had read up on my background, uh, I don't know. But clearly there was something about me and my presence that made him uncomfortable. And was it to some extent you being a woman in the position that you were in successful, being in a position to interview him, ask him questions, interview him. And is that kind of the tone of the intimidation? Uh, possibly. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really, to this day, I really don't know. I know mm -hmm. that his prior boss was mm -hmm. a woman and I know he worked at a local United way. Mm -hmm. She's she's a strong woman, but I don't know what really drove that from mm -hmm. him. But mm -hmm. you know and I know that sexual harassment is usually not about sex. It's about power. Right. And so in this case, as he was interviewing to be a peer, I had had a lot of success, a lot of very visible success in right. my role. And so in my head, I guess I was wondering if he was looking at it as a competition. You know, is this what I'm going to have to compete with to get visibility? Mm -hmm. Am I going to have to outshine her to be successful in what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's where it came from, but at every opportunity, his approach towards me was to objectify me and to marginalize my accomplishments, my capabilities, to try and assert power over me by yeah. reducing me to just an object, just mm. something there for him to look at. Until so you just mentioned it, I mean, in terms of when somebody is objectified in the way that, you know, you were 
Can you kind of describe how you felt like you were being objectified? Candidly, it's it's mortifying. It picks at your self-confidence. It, it scratches at your self-esteem. Because I think, again, as women, when we question ourselves, you know, you start to question, am I putting out a vibe that mm. did something? Did I wear something that brought this on? Why is this happening to me? Am I not really as good at what I do as I think I am? And so the one thing I would say is don't ever question yourself. You know, I, I made a point in the book. I don't wear clothes that are revealing in any way, shape or form. That's just not who I am. I don't wear short skirts because I don't like my knees. Nobody in that office has ever seen my knees. I don't wear V-neck shirts um, or anything low cut. And so in a conversation with another woman that was kind of going through this questioning of, am I attracting this in some way? What I had said to her is, you know, it wouldn't really matter if you wore saran wrap to the office. It doesn't give somebody the right to do that to you. Sure. But you need to not question yourself. And so I think for me, that final straw, he was very careful. And I think serial harassers know the boundaries. And he is definitely a serial harasshole. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I've spoken to women along his past. He's got a long trail of doing this. But I think with me, he was very cautious and careful when he did it. But the final straw was when he did something in front of other people and completely reduced me and marginalized me in front of them. We were at a, a conference that we were holding and he walked up, did a full circle around me, scanned me from head to toe and made a comment in front of two other women. And so I, I think when he did that to me in front of other women and the two women were subordinate to me, they weren't direct reports, but mm -hmm. they were subordinate to me. When they saw a male executive behaving this way towards a female executive, right? Number one, it put them in an awkward position. Number two, it put me in a horribly embarrassing position because I didn't want to be unprofessional in my reaction, but I needed to call it out for what it was. And I was just mortified because he, he walked up, he did this, he did it in front of them, and he, he just sauntered off like nothing had happened. My comment to the two women that had witnessed it was, I am really, really sorry that you had to see that. And one of the women responded and she said, oh, you know, that's just harassful. That's just how he is. And I stopped her and I said, no. I said, we need to call that for what it is. It's inappropriate. Yeah. And, you know, sent her a note that night saying like, I'm sorry that you had to see me get upset and see my reaction, but that's not okay. Right, yeah. So you keep on using the word, let's kind of define it. What's a harassful? <laughs> a harasshole is somebody, and we all have one in our life, right? But a harasshole is somebody that makes you uncomfortable with their verbal or physical interactions towards you when it's inappropriate. Right. You know, there's time and a place for everything, and the workplace is not the place for that behavior. And it's, uh, I had referred to him as my harasshole for so long, just as a nickname. But when we were actually titling the book, I think I just about threw my publisher over the edge because we had a short list of a bunch of other names and I had done some research on LinkedIn and tested the other names and I came back to them. You know, this is where the marketer in me comes in. Right. And I said, you know what? I'm like, I ran a poll with our top five names on LinkedIn. I had a ton of people look at it. 
I think there were like 6,000 views and only 120 votes. I said, and that tells me nobody's engaged or cares enough about these names, right, to feel strongly. I'm like, so we're going in a different direction. I said, we are actually going to call this for what it is. We're going to title the book Harasshole. I said, and as a marketer, I feel so strongly about that, that I've already filed a trademark application for it and secured the URLs and all of the social handles. And I remember we were on Zoom and they just looked at me and blinked and I said, please trust me on this. But like, this is this is what we're going to call the book. And when um, when it came time to share the manuscript with other people for endorsements and things, I have to say I was a little bit nervous about people reacting to the title. But by and large, people were like, you know what? We need to call it out for what it is and start acknowledging it and being more direct about it. So there was a lot of support for that. Yeah, I mean, I really like the name. Uh, I think it defines it very vividly. (laughs) That could be because I I work in this area and so I see it so often. In terms of what you were going through in that environment, especially for those that are listening, what would you say is the one thing that somebody that is feeling like it's perhaps on that border of happening where somebody is engaging in inappropriate behavior do you feel like that's the moment that they should, you know, think about how they should address the situation? What would you recommend based upon your experience on how to go about this? Yeah, I think that if you have a moment where you think that's happening, mm-hmm. two things. Number one, you should identify that behavior to your asshole and tell them, you know, call it out and tell them very directly, this behavior that you're exhibiting is not appropriate. The second thing you do is you start documenting right then and there. And you, when you document, you want to document what happened, where you were when it happened, anybody that may have witnessed it, and candidly, how that interaction made you feel. I know for me, it got to the point where every interaction that I had caused a physical reaction with my stomach hurting from stress the feeling of dread, having to navigate my way around the building to try and avoid an interaction with him. Didn't take away from my performance, but it definitely changed how I thought about the workplace. But when those two things happen, again, call it out and document, because if it happens once, it's likely to happen again. And you want to start your paper trail from the very onset. So again, it's where you were, how it happened, what was said, who was around, how it made you feel, any other details that you have. And I would either email it to yourself, obviously not from a company device, but use your phone, uh, send yourself an email and just start keeping a log of when those things happen. Um, In my case, I just had a Word document. I would send myself an email and then I would copy paste from the email into my Word document so that I had a running log of what was going on. Some great advice, absolutely. And so in terms of when you're going through this, one of the things that we usually advocate for, for especially our clients, especially those that reach out to us, is that you know a lot of times, a lot of my videos that I post on TikTok are about making sure that people understand the systems that are at play within the workplace, especially your HR, right? And a lot of times, the vast majority of people that respond to my videos always say, HR is for the company. It is a department within the company. Mm-hmm. It is meant to protect the company. It's not for you. It's not for the employee. But that being said, you know, you mentioned about documenting, developing a paper trail. 
is that something that you would also think that we should also submit to your HR in terms of the paper trail of what you're going through so that way they have your facts and what's going on? Did you know that at the beginning or yeah? I, I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. I, I would I would hold that I think when it comes time and, and you raise a very valid point. And that's one of the key learnings that I had, right? We have systems set up in the workplace. I trusted the system. That was mistake number one. I did make the mistake of thinking that HR was my friend, not on a personal level, but on a functional level. And you're exactly right. HR is there to protect the company. And as a marketer, what I've really learned is that it's a branding exercise, whether it's called people and culture, HR, people services, they are not there for the people. They are there for the company. And so you have to realize that from the minute you go to HR, it is very possible that you will be the one with the target on your back. So to your question, I would not share your documentation with HR, but I would continue to document every interaction you have with HR. That on this date, I went to HR, I raised the issue. Here's their response. Here's what they promised to do. Mm -hmm. And then if they don't do it, follow up and continue to document right? We'll look into it. What does that mean exactly that you'll look into it? How are you going to look into it? When are you going to follow up with me? What type of follow-up should I expect? Those are the questions to be asking. And in terms of one of the things that you mentioned before about how sexual harassment isn't really about sex, it's more about power. Can you tell me why you believe that sexual harassment for those that are engaging in the harassment is primarily about power? Yeah, I, you know, very often because the majority of sexual harassment is male towards female, mm -hmm. and there's also a lot of statistics on when you look at the power dynamics of sexual harassment, it tends to be superior to subordinate. You know, in my case, I think that peer to peer is a little more unusual. Mm -hmm. So you've got a power structure where you have somebody that's in a position of power that is either offering somebody an opportunity in exchange for something or leveraging their power to be able to get away with it because they know that the chance of somebody subordinate to them speaking up is slimmer. You know, as I mentioned, I did not initially go to HR on my behalf. It was only when two women on my team came to me. They were both younger, women of color. They were not going to go to HR about a white male C-suite executive, mm -hmm. but they knew that by coming to me, I had that policy obligation to report it. And so, you know, a lot of times, and we see this time and time again, right? In big public cases, if you look at Harvey Weinstein, if you look at what happened at Fox, these were men in power who were exerting that power over women. It's a control thing. Is it about sex occasionally? Yeah, I'm sure there are cases that it is, but there's a tremendous amount of data out there that talks about the power dynamics. And in this case, with it being peer-to-peer, -peer, in my instance, I really think it does go back to what we talked about, that this individual was somehow intimidated by me. And the only way that he could get that power was to marginalize me and put me into that, that class of, I am not there to perform, I'm not there to add value, I'm just something there for him to enjoy scenery, if you will. And that's a really unfortunate thing. You know, we're in a scenario right now where people are pushing back on the workplace for a variety of reasons, whether it's I don't want to go back to the office or I'm not going to tolerate this behavior. 
And I think that we've had far too many years of employers giving the slip service, saying we do an annual training, we have policies, we have procedures. And that's all great. But if you don't do anything to uphold those policies and procedures and follow through on them, then it's all worthless conversation. And, you know, I really am looking for companies to take action on this. We had what was called a zero tolerance policy for harassment and retaliation. And yet here I am. Yeah. And in terms of, for those that are listening uh, at this point with respect to your book, what would you think is something that a listener who has either going through sexual harassment or wants to prevent it would find within your book as a means of learning? And what would you think is the best message that they probably get by reading your book? So I think there's two things. You know, my book really details my experience with going through this. And so I think for the people that are questioning, did this really happen? Am I reading too much into this? Either gaslighting themselves or being gaslit by somebody else. Maybe reading the book and seeing and learning about my journey helps you recognize that, no, wait a minute, this is what happened to me too. And yes, it's valid. So that's thing one. I think thing two is in the back of the book, I try and help others learn from my experience, what to do, how to navigate this. You know, I should have filed a complaint with the EEOC prior to being terminated. I didn't know to do that. I should have engaged legal counsel prior to being terminated. I didn't know to do that. So I want to share my learnings with others who may find themselves in this situation. That's really what what pushed me to end up writing the book. It wasn't the fact that I woke up that morning and wrote 5,000 words. It was the realization that as a female executive, I have an obligation to help others and to bring others along. Um, and if leveraging my experience and my ability to speak out about it prevented just one other person from finding themselves in that situation, then it was all worth it to me. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. I love all that you're doing, especially in light of your experience. It means a lot. I know that women and men will find a lot of value from your book and learning from your experiences and learning on how they can effectively seek accountability for what they're made to experience. So I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for writing your book. And once again, thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to share. I really appreciate you having me as a guest. Thanks for joining us today on the Workplace Justice Podcast. Love this episode? Leave us a review and tell us what you think about our show. If you haven't subscribed yet, head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss a new episode. Need help? Talk to an employment lawyer today. Visit our website at nisarlaw.com or call 212-600-9534 for your free case evaluation. See you in the next episode.